0: Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles with you, we please open them up to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 17. Peter, I'm just going to put your... Matthew, chapter 5, verse 17. We, for those of you who are visiting and or have been coming for a while, you can definitely ask those who have been attending for a while that we are going through the Sermon of the Mount at what feels maybe like snail pace. Um, we've been taking our, our time through it. Uh, Looking at times just one verse like we're looking at this morning, at other times I think the most we've done so far is two verses um, at a time. But the advantage of doing that is that we make sure that when we come upon a passage that is tough and difficult that we don't just breeze through it quickly or skip over it. So this morning when we look at the passage that we're going to be uh, discussing, uh, Matthew 5 verse 17 to 20 is the real section of it. D.A. Carson will say it's one of the toughest passages in scripture. And if I have to be honest with you this morning, if I have to look at this passage, part of me just wants to preach it in one go. Because it's tough. And it's difficult to understand. And oh man, it would be great if I could just do one sermon, just kind of do it quickly get it done with, and we can move over to the more fun things like anger and lust and things like that, that are a whole lot more easier to talk about, divorce and love your families. But this, man, this is is a difficult passage to understand. It's difficult to grasp. But we need to make sure that we don't just rush through it. We take our time to do it. Because if we just preach Random sections, and like we normally do in the Sermon of the Mount, just jump and pick the ones and pick and choose. We become uh, bit part Christians. We, we will easily just spend our time speaking about David and Goliath, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Psalm 23, oh man, let's preach on that. How great would that feel, make us feel today? Uh, John three sixteen, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Passages we love to preach on, but we don't get the whole entirety of what, the, what God is trying to say to us. And so as we journey through this and, and we take our time, just know that it's good. It's good that we do this because it makes sure that we hear everything that God wants us to say. All of it. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 5:17 from the English Standard Version. It goes as follows. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Let me read that again because it's so short. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, uh, I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. And and Jesus makes this massive claim, and we will look at it this morning. But I just want us to remind us how we got to this point, because maybe then we will understand why Jesus is saying this. Jesus had, was, as in the previous chapter, chapter four, he was healing, casting out demons. He was. Uh, preaching uh, and there was this monster crowd people from other regions and even Syria had come to see this Jesus doing the work that he had done and and seeing the crowd he looks at them and what does he do he goes up a mountain and who follows him his disciples and his disciples mean here yeah, followers of Christ not necessarily just the 12 but those who desperately wanted and hungered and thirst for Jesus decide to go up the mountain it was a task that required energy and effort So only those who desperately wanted Jesus went up the mountain with him. And as he goes up this mountain, he starts to teach them, and he teaches them the beatitudes. He talks about how we need to be poor in spirit, how we need to uh, mourn. We need to mourn our sin, mourn the state of the world. We, We need to be meek. We need to not think about ourselves, but think about the kingdom of God, about his extension, about others. We need hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to be merciful. We need to uh, uh, be pure in heart. We need to be peacemakers. And as a result of this, we will be persecuted. But Jesus says, man, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. So if you're looking for a, a life that is fulfilling this morning, if you want to have a life of purpose, if you want to have a life that is happy, congratulated, Jesus says these are the things to do. Pursue me, and the work of the Spirit in you will create you into this person. Become this person, and man, you will be blessed, says Jesus. Isn't that what we want? And as we become this person, the outworking of that is that we become salt and light. We spoke about this two weeks ago, about being salt. Man, we, we, Matt came and he preached, and he said that being salt is, in the world is also adding some taste to the world. When we're there, man, they get a flavor of Jesus. But also salt makes us thirsty, right? Put too much salt on your food, you have to drink some water. And as we in the world are are salt, so the rest of the world tastes it and and just wants some water. They want the living water. They want Jesus. But also salt uh, is a preservative. It stops things from decay. And so... We as Christians who are salt, who are pursuing Jesus, stop the world from decaying. Man, we see the injustices of the world. We, we see uh, things going wrong, people being mistreated. And what are we? We are part, as meek people, boldly not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of others. Man, we stop this decay. And then last week we spoke about being the light of the world. That we are as individuals light in which we need to shine. And in our work and play, as we go out and about, as, as we move in, in every aspect, we need to be intentional and shine in shining Jesus. Because we will sometimes only be the light that some people will ever get to see. And we shine Christ through our good works. We shine Christ through the way we act. And the way we speak. And as a result of that, man, that's why we, we start in the soup kitchen, because we feel challenged as a church to do this. That's why the is covered and, and collecting of warm items is because we're going, we need to be salt and light. We can't just speak about it, we need to do it. But you need to, I just want to pause here for a second. We might not have noticed this as a, as a Gentile uh, congregation 2,000 years later, but for a Jewish, con, a Jewish audience that are, are hearing Jesus preach and talking about this new radical life of what it's going to look like, man, they would have started going, but Jesus, you, you're saying these things like, man, I get to see God by just being pure in hearts. Man, I'm, I'm called a, a son of, of God by, by being a peacemaker. I, I will be in this kingdom of God by being pure, by being poor in spirit. I'll be comforted by mourning my sin, but in no way so far have you said that I'm going to get all of these things by doing the Law of Moses. The law of Moses was massive for the Jewish people. Huge. It was so big. 1,300 years before Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount, Moses came down from the hill with with the Ten Commandments, and and from then onwards, the law was written. God spoke to him, and he gave them 2,000 legislations and what they had to keep. And we see in Deuteronomy 28 that God makes a promise to them. He says, if you follow these things, I'll bless you. But if you don't, I'm going to curse you. If you you turn to other gods and serve other gods, man. I'm going to curse you so so that you realize then that you've forgotten me and you'll return to me because I want to be your God. And the last thing he says to them, but if you don't listen to all the things that I come your way, I'm going to take you into exile. And what do we see? We see the Jewish people don't listen. And later they go into exile. And they go into exile for 70 years in Babylon. And when they come back, God says to promises through Jeremiah, You'll be there for 70 years. And we see, after 70 years, we see the first wave go back to Jerusalem of Jews. And they get back, they go, We never want to do that again. We never want to go into exile. And so they take the law seriously. They go, we are going to be strict on this. They make extra laws. They they start to take this. So you can understand for a Jewish person, this is ingrained deeply in them, that I am made right with God. I will be righteous with God by doing these things. And so far, Jesus has spoken about seeing God, doing all of this, but yet he has not said anything about the law. And you can imagine what they start to think. They're probably going, man, he's just going to, Throw this out. He's just chucking out this law. He, has, he's not, he doesn't care about it. And, and this would have gone two ways. This would have gone for those who are really strict about the law and were doing well at it, like the Pharisees. Man, they would have been like, yeah. they would no, no, no they wouldn't be, yeah. They would be cross. No, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? He can't get rid of all these things. And there would have been those others that would have been going, yeah, that were burdened by the law. They might have been going, this is fantastic. I don't have to do that anymore. And so, this idea of he's just rewriting scripture, this radical ministry in which this guy is preaching and teaching, this is going to change, he's trying to change the history of Israel, he's trying to start something new. And Jesus, being a good teacher, realizing what they were probably thinking, comes to them and says, No, I'm not chucking it out. That law and the prophets. I'm not chucking it out. The law consisted of the first five books of the the Bible that we have. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We call it the Pentateuch. And the prophets consist of 31 books for the Jewish people. Because 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel was one. 1 Kings and 2 Kings was one. 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles is one book in the Jewish uh, Jewish Bible. And so, uh, Torah. And so, as they read that... All of that, Jesus says, no, all those books, I'm not casting them out. But he says, I've come not to abolish them, not to destroy them, not to nullify them, but I've come to fulfill them. A radical statement by Jesus. I'll just stop here for a second. Let's think about this. If I to stand up, and we have very little to do with the law and practicing it now. If I just to stand up this morning and go, me as Joseph Prince... Not that famous one, just this one. <laughs> if I had to stand up and go, I have fulfilled the law. Who the prophets were speaking about was speaking about me. You'd go, you're mad. This guy's lost his nuts. It's the reason why on, I think it was last Sunday or the Sunday before there on Cop Launch, there was a guy that came up and said, I am the Christ. They interviewed him. He says, I'm not Jesus, but I'm the anointed one. And that's what matters. I am Christ. And because it is a ridiculous statement to make. That's why it's made national news. So if I understand, we'll go crazy. Can you imagine what this radical statement meant for Jewish people? What? He's fulfilled the law. That's what he's saying he's gonna do. Jesus hadn't quite fulfilled it yet because he hadn't died, but he hadn't, his life wasn't over, but he said, I'm gonna fulfill it. All those prophets and what they spoke about, all what they prophesied, man, they prophesied about me. Every bit of it, we'll see you next week. Every dot and every comma, not a single part of it does not speak about me. I have not achieved it. 2,000 legislations. 2,000. Jesus says, man, I've kept it. This, This legislation that consisted of moral law, civil law, ceremonial law, every bit, Jesus says, man, I have kept it. All the prophets that you have, see, I am the one that they speak about. Radical. It's an incredible statements, And they had a, a struggle with this. But this, this is what Jesus had come to do and what he had done. In the same way the Jewish audience would have struggled with this, so similarly, we struggle in a sense with this as well. If we, if we think about it, if... If we had to look at the New Testament, then I've got two verses of the New Testament in this section over here. But the rest of that's old. The rest of that's Old Testament. And most of us, when we look at this big chunk of literature, really look at that and go, how do I deal with that? How do I read this and enjoy it? What does, how does this apply to my life? We love the New Testament. The New Testament is great. We love the Gospels. And when I talk about the Old Testament, I'm not just talking about Psalms. You know, we love our Psalms. But I'm talking about Leviticus. Now, I've just gone through Leviticus in my reading. I've got to be honest. I read, I read one chapter from four different books at a time. It's a plan I do to read the Bible in a year. And, and Leviticus was my least favorite. It was. Oh, oh man, I loved it when I got to the Psalms because I'm also going through those. I love the New Testament. Oh, read the but the the living it's tough, isn't it? Can we just be honest here for a second that reading the old testament at times is difficult? And so often we ask the questions, what must I, I do with this this book, this obscure thing? How do they apply to me and my life? What must I do with this? Because the OT is so foreign to us, it's so different. And as a result, we, we don't know quite, how does this Old Testament apply to us? There's a, there's a, a, a guy named Marcion. He, um, back in early centuries, when Christ had died, not long afterwards, he started a heresy. And while I do not agree with him, I can see, kind of see why he came to that conclusion. He's horribly wrong, but you can understand he, he, he says that the Old Testament and the New Testament seem like two different gods. And so for him, he went, the Old Testament God was angry and wrathful, and the New Testament was loving and forgiving, and so there were two different gods. He would argue that there were two separate gods altogether. Horribly wrong. But so often, we start to look at the Old Testament and we go, Wow, that God is hectic. Did he just do that? That is, that is tough, and, and so we battle to fulfill this and, and so we start to question, do we really need it? Whether we we actively say it, but we we have that opinion because we hardly spend time in it, right? We don't really read often from there. We'd rather stay in the New Testament. But Jesus says, No. Man, this Old Testament is just as important. It is hugely important. Why? Because it speaks about me. It's all about me. This, this law, oh, oh man, it points to me. I fulfilled it. I have done it. It's about how I have come through the sacrificial systems, through all of this. It's about me. The prophets, they preach about me. This is important because it's all about Christ. So important. And so we've, we've got this entirety of this word here in which we need to get. It's so important for us. And in, and in essence, what Jesus is saying is, he says, if you want to follow me and find me, you have to come and follow me through all of this. If we are going to be disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, that go up that mountain and pursue him and want to know him in all of this Jesus, we have to spend and read and study and know with joy. It's not a, it's not a, you've got to understand this. As I say this, I realize some of you go, oh my word, this is too much. But there is joy in spending time because we get to know Christ in a way we would not if we just stuck to our John three sixteens. In a way, we would not if we just stuck to uh, Psalm 23. In all of it, we get to see a new character of him, a new part of him in which we have not understood by spending time in it all. And I realize that in our day and age, and you would realize this, some of you that used to watch horror films in, in the 70s and now watch a horror film now, how different it is. Is that we are a generation that strives after thrills and just just moments. Things have to get more and more hectic for us to enjoy them. My grandfather watched a, a when he was a big, strong young guy, um, uh, weightlifting, SA champion in uh, surf ski, uh, going to world champions, uh, Herbie Caddin, really strong guy. He watched a, 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 a horror film. And he was petrified in the 80s, petrified of it. Absolutely scared. He, he lay awake at night worried about this. He watched it the other day and he laughed because we've become so desensitized. We want to have thrills. And the problem with that is, is that we've come to our Christianity and we have the same sense. We come and stand here this morning and we sing songs, but if we don't have goosebumps and have a thrill, we start to really question whether we've met with God or not. Our relationship with God is dependent on how have I felt during this. But that's not the case. While there are those moments, don't hear me wrong, and the Spirit comes and we feel the presence, and those are are great moments to cherish. There is the sense in which Christ has called us, and he He is essentially implying here that faithfulness and obedience to His Word is what characterizes us, not experience. Faithfulness and obedience. Why? Because it characterized Christ. Jesus says, I have done this all. I was obedient. The Son of God, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, came and subjected himself under the law. And he kept it. He needed to keep it. How much more important for us to be obedient, to follow and be faithful. That's where what characterizes us as Christians to do this and in this one little sentence in which Jesus makes what he does is he talks and confirms and affirms the inspiration of the entire Old Testament this was the whole Testament Old Testament was written by the Holy Spirit because it preached about the coming Messiah Jesus it is inerrant in that every dot and comma was correct there's no mistakes as you read it don't think this should not be here. no it is there intentionally there's no mistake The authority of it is strong. Why? Because it preaches about the King of Kings. Talks about Him. The relevance of the Old Testament to His disciples is that He came and He has come to fulfill it. It's all about Jesus and so it's relevant for us. But I want to stop this morning again. And I just want to marvel at Jesus. Can we just stop and acknowledge how great our Lord is? (laughs) I mean... If we had to think 2,000 legislations, Jesus was able to keep it all. It, he, he, he was able to keep every festival, every food law, every sacrifice, every bit of it he was able to do which we could not that's why there was a sacrificial system but Jesus kept it all and was ultimately the fulfillment of the sacrificial system he was ultimately the Passover lamb so that he would die and perfect the death so that we would never have to sacrifice again because there was an eternal sacrifice there was this ultimate sacrifice in Jesus That every moral and civil law and ceremonial thing was kept by Jesus, not just in his adult life, not just when people were looking, but every second of every day, 24-7 for 33 years, Jesus kept it. And a part of that meant there were laws in which he had no control over, which he kept, like being circumcised on the eighth day. But yet, he kept it. This amazing aspect of Jesus, able to do what no one else, under strict law, Pharisees that could memorize the first five books of the Bible, could not keep fully, but only Jesus could. And that's why it is so important that Jesus lived the sinless life for us. When we sing songs like Jesus, uh, I sing for you for all that you've done for me. It's not just talking about the cross. We realize that where we often, we think, oh Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. We think about the cross and that's that's great because it's the pinnacle of it all. It's important. But if Jesus' life was sinful, if there was one aspect one little law, ceremonial or just a festival that he did not attend when he should have attend. Anything that he did not just do one little bit, his sacrifice on the cross would have been null and void. Why? Because he would have died and the punishment he would have received would have been his own for his own sin. But to be sinless meant that he could stand and represent us. He could die on the cross and he could be sinless and he did not deserve it. But he would, our sin would be placed on him and the wrath of God would pour out on him because it was our sin. And so we can be forgiven because of what Christ has done, because he has taken our punishment. And the reason why, church, we know that he was sinless is because of his resurrection. And the reason why we know that that sacrifice was fulfilled and accepted by God was because he was resurrected the resurrection of Christ proves that God approved of it. If he did not, if Christ did not rise again, we may as well go home. We may as well. Because we will have no cooking clue whether or not Jesus' sacrifice was accepted or not. And we could be trying to serve this God that died for us sins, which hadn't. But because of his resurrection, man, we are confident that Jesus Christ died for us. And as a result, we who are in Christ, who have accepted this Jesus, we have been set free. And the law which bared and was a burden to the Jewish people for 1,300 years, now in Christ we are set free from it. We, we do not have that burden of the law upon us anymore. Oh man, are we are obedient, we are faithful, but we do not have to keep every dot and every comma because Christ did it for us. Let's marvel at what Jesus has done. Marvel at that. For who the Son has set free is free indeed. Man, he did not only just keep the law, he also kept the prophets. <laughs> Incredible. Most of it, Jesus could not do. His birthplace, for example. Last time I looked, I couldn't choose that I wanted to be born in Stutterheim. Because if I had a choice, I wouldn't have been Stutterheim. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Oh man, we'll get to some of those now. But he he is the offspring of Eve in uh, in uh, Genesis 3 verse 15 that God said... To the serpent, either out of this woman a seed will come, and he will bruise your head. He is the one that's spoken about. There, he's the descendant of Shem, who with this great blessing was going to come in Genesis Genesis nine verses eighteen to twenty one. He is the seed of Abraham. Through him, every family in every nation would be blessed. He is the scepter um, that of that would not depart from Judah, as Jacob promised. There you will be. There will be a ruler that comes out of you, Jacob, that will rule for all eternity and his name will be Jesus Well, Jacob never spoke about that but he will be the Lion of Judah when we talk about the Lion of Judah and we sing that song we are talking about this very promise that there will be a ruler that will come the King of Kings the Lord of Lords and this will come from that promise out of what Jacob said Man, he is the root of Jesse, that is the great king from the line of David. He is the suffering servant that is spoken about in Isaiah, who would be called the wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, on whom all the governments would rest on his shoulders. This is our Jesus, who achieved all of this for us. He's done all of this, but why church? Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He did not have to come. He was not forced. But Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. He he willingly came and laid down his life because he loved you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son. And whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's out of love, the steadfast love, that he's done this all. So that you could be free. So that you might be saved. That you might know him. So the question I have for you this morning is, how serious are we taking this church? So often we just have this as, as a, a thing that we have to read But oh man, in this is life, because in this is Christ. So one of the primary ways in which he speaks to us is through his word, his very word in which he has given to us. God has come and given us his word, a letter to us so that we might read and know him. All that we need to know for now is in that, on the side of the grave, is in here to know him fully, to know him the way we should. In these scriptures is all that we need to know. Because in them we find Jesus. We see this in Luke 24 verses 13 to 35. I'm not going to read it. (laughs) But there's this two disciples. Jesus has just been crucified on the cross on the Friday. And I I assume it is Sunday or Monday. And these two disciples are, are walking to Emmaus. And as they are walking, Jesus appears next to them. But he, he coats himself in a way that they can't see him. They, they don't realize who he is. and he, They are grumbling and talking about these things that have happened. And Jesus goes, so what's the problem? And they go, oh man, are you the only person in the whole of Israel that doesn't know about this? Or whole of Jerusalem? Just, just stop there for a second. Do you see the magnitude of the death of Christ? The whole of Jerusalem was talking about it. And here he... he he chats to them and he talks to them about it. And, he, and, they, and they start to say things. Um, he, he says to them, <clears throat> they, well, they, they say to him, we, we have hoped this Jesus of Nazareth would be the one that will redeem Israel. And he replies to them and says, O oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Here it is. All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses, the law, and the prophets, he interpret them, all the scriptures concerning himself. And, and as they do that, they would invite him over for supper. And he reluctantly says, no, in the beginning. And they say, no, come, come, come. So he says, okay, fine, he will go. And he sits down with them at supper. And he breaks bread. And as he breaks and starts to have communion, which Jesus was the one who started, they realize their eyes are opened and they see it's Christ. And as they realize it's Jesus, he disappears in front of their eyes. And what do they turn to each other? They say, our hearts burned. Why? Not because we've just seen the living Christ. Did our hearts not burn because he opened up the scriptures concerning himself? Our hearts, there is life in here for us, church. There is a time for our hearts to burn for Jesus in these scriptures to read. To pursue him. If we are to be followers that pursue Christ, to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, if we are to actively live out these beatitudes, our time needs to be spent in this. Reading it, because in it is Christ. In it is Jesus. But one of the problems that we have is, is that in our generation, we find that while the Bible is probably the most accessible it has ever been, I've got my Bible on my phone. I'm sure some of you have as well. It's just an app you can download. It's probably the in history, altogether, the most disinterested we have ever been in Scripture. We just don't care. And a and part of it is, to blame, is, is not necessarily you guys. It's, it's, it's us preachers. Because as we preach, we only preach, preach here and there. Bits and parts. Only the things that you like. Because the things, that you, the, the things that make us feel good, because the others, are man, they're not necessary. Because we don't ever teach properly that in this is Christ. We don't teach that all of this is about Jesus. Rather, we preach about how you can feel good about yourselves. Rather, we, and when we preach, we, we preach not about Christ. We preach about you must do and you must not do. And so just like Pharisees, we become burdened. And so we want to stay away from it because it's just a bunch of rules in which we have to keep. And we become Pharisees. And what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Oh man, you are whitewashed tombs. You look clean on the outside, but on the inside it's bad. And we we need to guard ourselves from that. It's not about just doing things. Oh man, remember, it's faithfulness and obedience. It is. That's what characterizes us. But it's because in that we get to have Christ. Not because our... In doing this, I am now righteous. No. In doing this, I have Jesus who gives me my righteousness. That's important. That's what we need to do. We pursue this because we want Jesus. And so we need to do this, church. Our life is at stake. Our relationship with Jesus is at stake. How good are we at following Christ is at stake. Are we going to be salt or saltless salt? Are we going to be a light that shines bright or are we going to be a light that's hidden under a basket? Are we going to make impact for the kingdom of Jesus or are we not? Are we going to be uh, uh, people that see God or aren't we? Are we going to be comforted by God or aren't we? Because this is what is at stake. Because those things come with following Christ. Let's look for Jesus in all of Scripture because it's there. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. Let us pray. Lord, we, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us so deeply. Man, we are, we are thankful that you have come to fulfill the law and the prophets because in them, because that you have done those things Because of your death and your resurrection, because you fulfilled them all, we have life. We have life in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir up in us as a church to be a people that hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. That we would seek after you. That we would spend time in your word looking for Jesus, wrestling with it. We know it's tough. We know it's difficult. But, Lord, give us a perseverance. Because in this we get to know you more and more and more. Because in you there is life. I pray, Lord, for for us that are are dry and weary. We've been carrying the burden too long of trying to be good people to earn your love. But I pray, Lord, that that those in this room that are doing that, that they might find the rest that comes with Jesus. They would be set free from it all, knowing that Christ has done it all. I pray for those Lord who, who, who might be just struggling with obedience altogether. I pray, Lord, that you would you would strengthen them, that you would give them a desire for Christ, that you would help to break them from the sins that are in their lives. I pray for those, Lord, that are rich, enjoying in your presence, that are experiencing what life is about. May they not stop. May their eyes not be moved. May they just keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. May they dive deeper into your word. May they get to know Jesus more and more each day. We pray this and ask this, Lord, because you are a gracious God who steadfastly loves us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.